Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Before we fully look ahead to everything in store for Georgia this Saturday against Oregon and the season that is to come after that, I want to briefly look back just for a moment. And I want to sort of appreciate a kind of a special moment from the national championship game that every now and then will just sort of be on my mind. And I think it's a reminder for us about what this upcoming Saturday is going to sort of feel like and sound like and look like. I'm so excited about everything we've got in store for you here this week. And there is a noise that I've been waiting a long time to hear once again. And coming up on this Saturday, we get a chance to hear that. And I think about this sometimes when I think back to that national championship game. You know, when George was starting to assert itself kind of late in that game and you're getting some big yards on the ground, there was running play in particular from Zamir White. And as the pile moved and as White churned and burned and got those yards, there was a noise echoing through Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis during that national championship game. And it was so loud, it kind of overwhelmed the TV broadcast. And it was so loud that the play-by-play announcer, Chris Fowler, had no choice but to acknowledge what he was hearing in that moment in Indy. So before we get to Atlanta on Saturday and the Oregon Ducks coming in and all that is to take place here this weekend, Can we look back just for a moment for that sort of special sound that we're going to be hearing a lot on Saturday? This from the TV broadcast back in January. Game against Jackson, and there's one against McKinstry. Back to White, who patiently navigates his way and continues to drive his legs. You hear all that barking? I mean, you hear it. It's 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 so loud coming through the uh, broadcast. It's almost overwhelming even the play-by-play voice of Chris Fowler right there. And, and Fowler just says, the dogs are barking. And you can hear that, that sound just sort of echoing and reverberating through all that was Lucas Oil Stadium. And listen, we've all been a part of a lot of tailgates over the course of time. We've all had these moments in which we've seen Georgia fans get together. But there has never been a time in which Georgia fans have gotten together that's going to be like what it's going to be this Saturday. You think those dogs were barking in Indianapolis in the late stage of that national championship game back in January? How much barking are you about to hear on Saturday? How many Georgia fans are going to greet each other one to the other with that loud bark? And when you look across the Home Depot backyard, we're going to be set up for the Dog Nation Duck Hunt tailgate. Or when we're at Marlowe's Tavern on Thursday night, how much barking is going to be taking place across all of this? I sort of get the impression that Georgia fans may be a little tough to take here for a little while because Georgia has always been a great program and it's always had an amazing fan base. But the moment on Saturday is going to be so special because this is for the very first time a chance for Georgia fans to get together for a tailgate, a chance to get together inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium after that, a chance to get ready to support their team with now the, no, the, the, the full knowledge of the fact that you're the reigning national champion 
And how cool is that going to be to see? I'm guessing a lot of Georgia fans will be wearing those national championship shirts when they show up in Atlanta on Saturday. I'm guessing when you look across those parking lots, including the one we're going to be in for our Dog Nation duck hunt tailgate, I'm guessing when you look across the entire landscape, how many flags are going to be flying that say Georgia 2021 national champions? Uh, how, How much of that are you going to see on Saturday? And as I said before, how much of that dog barking are you going to hear echoing all across Atlanta as Georgia makes itself at home in Atlanta and makes things truly a house of horrors for Oregon on Saturday? And I was also thinking about this a little bit, too. Think about the contrast here for a moment. I mean, think about think about what's in store here, because when all those Georgia fans get together doing like they did in Indianapolis, when that barking is taking place in unison, it's deep, it's resonant, it has a lot of bass in it. It's a very sort of masculine sound. It's the kind of thing that opposing fans hate. But listen, they can't do anything to stop it here at the moment. And it is a total contrast to Georgia's opponent. And I, I don't know that anything sort of speaks to the difference between the two programs than the sounds the mascots make because let's face it georgia is a barking dog from the sec the big bad behemoth of college football the conference that always wins these kinds of early season non-conference matchups setting the tone for the season which we sort of normally know a uh, sec team is going to be reigning at the end as national champion this is a spot that teams from this league have been in before now it's georgia's turn to be in this spot as the reigning national champ coming back for an encore the season after that and you better believe there'll be plenty of barking going on because of that and by contrast what are the ducks gonna do they gonna quack i mean is is that what we expect to hear from the ducks on saturday some quacking you want to know the difference between these two teams the sound you just heard from georgia and indianapolis compared to the sound that we might typically hear from oregon i mean is anybody going to be scared of a noise like this I mean, is that scaring anybody? <laughs> I mean, just just the and that's probably not that. That's fine. I mean, the the comparison here is I, I think I think hard not to deny that when you hear the sounds of those barking dogs just echoing and billowing around Indianapolis, the kind of meager quack from Oregon that sort of speaks to all of this. And of course, you know, there's also that person that says, "Well, hold on now, BA. I know you're a Georgia fan, but don't get too confident here. Don't get don't 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 get too far ahead of yourself here on all of this." And Listen, I get that. I, I, I get where you're coming from on that. that. There's been plenty of people here over the course of the offseason that have told you, oh, Georgia's lost too much. There are 15 players that were drafted in the NFL. There were five guys off of the uh, defense alone drafted in the first round. That's too much to replace. And, yeah, Georgia may have beaten Alabama a year ago, but there's seeming to be this kind of narrative that people try to put into shape of, well, that was just a fluke, and now Alabama's angry, and now you'll eventually apologize for the fact that you beat them because of how mad you made Alabama in response to that. And, oh, yeah, now they're not injured or hurt anymore or whatever that the, the uh, thought's supposed to be, that somehow Georgia is some sort of one-hit wonder, some sort of program that – that may have had its moment in the sun a year ago, but shouldn't expect much more than that. I can tell you this from having talked to a bunch of Georgia fans so far this summer. That may be what some folks believe about Georgia, but that is not what Georgia fans believe about their program, nor is it, I believe, what Georgia believes about itself. I'm going to write about this more at dognation.com at, at some point this week, that I think the big disconnect that exists here is that there are some people who sort of think 
that last year was kind of the end of a version of college football's history, that Georgia had waited 41 years to win a national championship, finally got one, and now the story was over. But I don't think that's quite the case. I don't think that what happened in 2021 with those barking dog fans in Indianapolis against Alabama, I don't think that was the end of a chapter of history so much so as it was the start of a new version of college football's history. In other words, for those of you that watch a lot of like binge watch TV shows, things like that, what happened against Alabama last year wasn't a series finale. It was a season premiere. It was the start of something new for Georgia, something that had been building for quite some time. And if you look at the last 20 years in college football, what do you see? Programs that win national championships usually win more than one. Now, they haven't all done that. Uh, Florida State didn't do that after the 2013 season. Auburn didn't do that at the 2010 season. Texas didn't do that after the 2005 season. So there are examples of sort of one-hit wonders. But does this Georgia team feel like one of those type of teams? One of those teams that got lucky because it had a Vince Young or got lucky because it had a Jameis Winston or got lucky because it had a you know, Cam Newton. And once you didn't have a player like that, all of a sudden you didn't have the same level of program anymore. Does Georgia feel like that to you? Doesn't feel like that to me, nor do I think it should feel like that to you. In fact, what occurred last season was the kind of thing that clues had been dropped about for many years prior to that, that Georgia was building itself towards what ultimately resulted in a championship season. In fact, to punctuate that idea even more, let me show you this for those of you watching on video on the screen from our friends at the Action Network. This is a gambling website. They cover point spreads, things like that. Not everybody likes betting, but think of this not so much as something to make money on, but just simply a projection from people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is, and how often Georgia is exceeding the expectations of gambling fans or gambling observers or actual gamblers the action network says that since kirby smart was hired at georgia in 2016 the bulldogs are 47 and 34 against the spread that means if you were to bet a hundred dollars in all those games your profit over the course of that span would be 967 dollars he says that makes georgia the most profitable team against the spread in the sec in other words georgia has been doing better than expectations for quite some time under kirby smart and last year was just the biggest example of that when it comes to winning the national championship and because of all of that we don't believe that last year was the end we think that last year may have just been the start so this saturday against oregon you better believe we are pretty confident what Georgia's going to put together we think it's going to be a big day for the dogs and we think it's going to be a big reminder that UGA actually has gotten kind of comfortable being at the top of the college football world and they don't plan on stepping down from that spot anytime soon my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia and happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref we're available as a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com and just really happy to have you with us today across all of our platforms getting ready for Dog Nation Duck Hunt on Saturday getting ready for a huge event at Marlowe's coming up on Thursday with our good friend Jake Fry so all of this in store in the days to come but for now today's show would not be possible without our friends from pella window and door of georgia dogs will be making themselves at home at mercedes-benz stadium on saturday you make yourself though at home in your home each and every day one of the things that makes that easier better more enjoyable are energy efficient windows and doors the kind of product that pella window and door of georgia is famous for so if you haven't checked out yet what makes them great now is the time to do that have a no pressure consultation with one of the pella experts let them talk you through the entire line of product your installation 
options and really truly what makes Pella better for you. Keeping the stuff on the inside of your house where it's supposed to be. I'm talking about that air conditioning that you pay so much for. Keeping the stuff on the outside where it's supposed to be. You know, properly fitted windows and doors. The the, the, the high-quality product that Pella is famous for. That means the bugs and the heat and all that kind of stuff. It's not getting into your house. It's staying there on the outside. That's what Pella Window and Door of George is all about. Also, it can improve your curb appeal, too, which, too, which could improve your resale value there as well. And you get great savings right now, too, because between now and September 30th, you can get no payments, no interest for 12 months or 50% off all qualifying installations. So you can stop by and see them at the new Experience Center right there in Duluth, or you can find them online at PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window in Dwarf, Georgia is viewed to be the best. We're looking forward to talking to John Stinchcomb here coming up in a couple of moments. Before that, though, I want to get ready to go around the doghouse, and it's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And Obviously, when you start thinking about Georgia on the field here this season, there is, I think, some areas in which you say, well, Georgia's probably already strong. And there are some areas in which you think, hey, maybe Georgia has a chance to be stronger than they've been in the past. I want to focus in on one of those there for a moment on the latter category, something where Georgia was maybe good a year ago, but has a chance this year to maybe be even better. I want to talk about the offensive line for a moment. And I thought it was interesting. Pro Football Focus the other day in ranking all the best offensive lines in college football. Now, the caveat to all this is always not everybody kind of looks at Pro Football Focus necessarily as their you know cup of tea. But in talking about Georgia in particular, one of the things they said in ranking Georgia 8, I thought was pretty interesting. So let me show you this on the screen here for a moment. This is Pro Football Focus kind of explaining why they have Georgia as their number 8 offensive line. The writer says that Georgia's offensive line has the potential to move up much higher on this list by the end of the season. Both Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon have made PFF's top 25 list and one of only four tackle duos to do so. Cedric Von Prahn Granger has a 76.7 pass blocking grade last season, fifth among SEC centers. I have no idea how they got that, but nonetheless, that's their number. They also say the guards are inexperienced, but Amarius Mims is a former top 10 recruit, and Tate Ratlich was a top 50 prospect coming out. Now, I don't think that Mims is going to be starting at guard, so if that's what uh, PFF is suggesting, that may be why Kirby Smart and some of those folks don't always love what they bring to the table. But nonetheless, the overall, I think, opinion here is one that most Georgia fans would probably agree with. That Georgia's offensive line is at least very good right now. By the end of the season, it has a chance to be much better than that. And some of the intrigue here kind of centers around that kind of guard spot up. Is Tate Ratledge truly healthy enough to play from the very beginning of the season? And what happens over on that left side at the guard position where it seems like it's been Devin Willick, Xavier Trust, kind of battling it out there in that spot here right now. If you're curious what the rest of the offensive lines look like, by the way, you've got Ohio State at number one. You've got Notre Dame at number two, USC at number three, Baylor at number four, Arkansas at number five, BYU at number six, a at number seven and you get to georgia number eight one spot ahead of michigan number nine so that's kind of where pro football focus currently rates the georgia offensive line and i guess i don't have a problem with that i mean i can't tell you all five guys starting for all those teams that are rated ahead of georgia so i can't tell you if these are accurate ratings or not but it seems to match up with, with what my eyes have sort of told me about georgia i thought the dogs offensive line was 
pretty good a year ago, but probably not great. And when I look at Georgia this year, taking that next step offensively, I think being great is a reasonable possibility. And it's the kind of thing that ought to motivate UGA to be, as Pro Football Focus suggests, a much improved offensive line by the end of the season and the kind of offensive line that's maybe reminiscent of some of the ones that Sam Pittman had back in 2017, 2018, when the UGOL really was truly dominant. Now, the good news here is, and this is going back to spring practice here for a moment, but one of the key leaders for Georgia and one of the true sure things for this Georgia offensive line, the center, Cedric Von Prahn Granger, who's already kind of speaking up as very much a vocal leader for this unit, says, hey, they do have a chip on their shoulder and they are motivated. They do want to be the very best in college football. So for an analytic side to say that it's possible for us to say that it you know, probably needs to happen, the idea that's exactly the motivation that this unit seems to have based on the previous words of Van Pran and all this. Hey, I take that as a really good thing. In fact, let me let you hear SVP going back to the spring. I'll say this. We definitely want to honor the guys that came last year. But honestly, this is a new group and we feel slighted because we let me let me rephrase that. Not slighted. Slighted is the right word. We just you want to use it as motivation that we didn't win the Joe Moore last year. So we want to be the best group possible. So listen, I, I like that. I, I think that's a, a really good thing. And I think when you talk about the Georgia offensive line from Cedric Von Prahn Granger saying, going back to spring practice, of course, but saying that we want to win the Joe Moore Award. We want to be acknowledged as the best offensive line in the country. Well, where does that show up? It shows up in more big time rushing plays. You know, last couple of years, Georgia from a sort of running game standpoint probably hasn't been quite as dominant as they were in the first couple of years of the smart era leading the sec in rushing in 2017 leading the sec in rushing in 2018 they haven't finished higher than fifth in the sec in rushing in either the last three years i think that you can change that without becoming a run first offense part of the reason why georgia hasn't had quite as many rushing yards is they throw it now more than they used to but you don't necessarily have to have to run it more to run it better. You can just simply get more yards when you do rush it. And an offensive line motivated to be as good as what Van Praan suggests that Georgia's motivated to be, that could be a very big sign and a good sign for dog fans heading into the season. And one of those things I would suggest you ought to be watching for pretty closely against Oregon on Saturday. Oregon's front seven, pretty good. Has been uh, last few years. They probably better defensively than maybe even think. Well, the Georgia offensive line gets a chance to show how good it is on Saturday against the Ducks. And I think that's one of the really fun storylines to watch as we get closer to Saturday. That is around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends uh, at AAA. We're happy to have them on board with us. We love them for legendary roadside assistance, but we also love them when we talk about home insurance there as well and getting your home insurance through AAA. And one of the incentives they have for you to get your home insurance through them is what they call their disappearing deductible. Now, here's how it works. They can reduce your deductible by 50 for every policy year that you go claim free that's up to five hundred dollars it's a great incentive for getting your home insurance through AAA, and it's just one of the many options they offer for you when it comes to home insurance opportunities so check out aaa.com slash home insurance that's aaa.com slash home insurance or you can give them a call 833-718-2075 the number once again 833-718-2075 and find out how AAA can step up to the plate for you here today
All right, good to have you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of George today. Before we're done, we're going to get a little bit deeper into UGA recruiting. It is decision day for the four-star offensive lineman, Monroe Freeling. Dog Nation going to have coverage of that for you coming up later on tonight. And it is a big decision for UGA, both because of how pivotal Freeling is for this class, but also because of the time that it takes place. At one point in time, we thought that Freeling might be still several weeks away, if not months away, from making his announcement. But he's he's decided that he's ready to go here right now. So uh, that could come at a time for UGA in which they need some good news recruiting, especially after Anthony Evans made the decision that he made on Friday, choosing Oklahoma over UGA. So we'll get deeper into the Freeling thing here before the show is done. We'll also talk to John Stinchcomb some about that there as well. And more with John about, hey, what does it feel like to be the reigning national champs, playing your first game on Saturday with that designation next to your name? So let's have some fun with that right now. It is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and it's great to have the former All-American with us right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll say hello to John Stinchcomb here. Great to have him on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia today. And, John, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I want to begin, though, with the position that you know so well, something we were just reading a moment ago from Pro Football Focus, which is not everybody's cup of tea, and probably I don't even really know how they tabulate some of the stats they share as a part of their analysis, but let's just take them at their word for a moment. They have the Georgia offensive line rated eighth to begin the season. Now, I can't tell you all five starters, seven teams rated ahead of Georgia, but I do feel like, hey, you know, 90th percentile, but not quite best overall seems about right to me when it comes to to Georgia that I feel like this is a very good offensive line, but something I would say probably just short of maybe great a year ago. I think in the past we've talked about this. You've had a little bit more favorable assessment on that group, maybe from last season than I did. But nonetheless, what's your outlook for Georgia on the offensive line here right now? Against a pretty good Oregon front seven, it's a good measuring stick on Saturday. One of the examples of the game against the Ducks where I think that's true. But what's on your mind about the Georgia offensive line as we head into the start of the 2022 season? Georgia. I'm sorry, John. Can you say that again? I, uh, I I didn't have your sound turned up. Can you say that one more time? Sure. I, I, I'm. Could you tell me with complete confidence who the starting five are at Georgia? Well, that's a very important issue to get to before you know how well the group's going to play because you don't know yet for sure how <laughs> healthy Ratledge is. Although he's certainly you know saying all the right things for a healthy guy and left guard seems to be a little bit of a mystery. So that's forty percent of your offensive line right there that you might not can sort of speak <laughs> on with certainty. So that may be one of the issues to be sure. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I say that because I can't. I can't with certainty say who the five are going to be. Uh, I, you have to like the seven or eight names that are competing specifically at the guard spots and feel confident that wherever Georgia does land, that we have some very competent bodies that will fill those spaces. But, it's you know, these preseason rankings – um, they're fun to look at, and I think it gives you a gauge of where teams are. Um, but it, so much in it is speculation. And for Georgia, they've got the they've got plenty of pieces from which they can draw from, and will need to. You know, the Oregon defensive box they've got they've got some playmakers. They've got some linebackers that can make plays and are going to be challenged. I, I look forward to that matchup with. You know, Flo and Sewell going up against some of our tight ends. But what I think will really matter is, 
you know, for Georgia, part of the identity is being able to run the ball. Yeah. And um, Oregon's front seven is going to be challenged mightily in this matchup of uh, going up against a good offensive unit that returns so many uh, veterans and including Georgia's offensive line. So outside of guard, you have to feel really good about the tackle situation with Roderick and McClendon. And then Von Prong Granger is, was a stud, especially who, who, who only got better last season um, as he had more reps. And so I feel really good about this matchup. I know Oregon's coming in hungry and there's still some question marks as to, uh, you know, who exactly will be facing and, and who, who will put out there. But, um, Golly, there's just so many good pieces for Georgia, specifically across this offensive line, that, uh, you know, whichever five does take the field, and I would expect a rotation at some point, um, that it's going to be a, a really solid group. Well, you touched on something I think is really important. The way in which I'm measuring the offensive line, because I'm not watching the film, I'm not grading the players, that's not you know, obviously what I'm doing around here. Part of my biggest evaluation of the Georgia offensive line are, you know, is going to be how effective the rushing game is. And you look at the last three years for Georgia, John, you know, Georgia hasn't been higher than fifth in the SEC in rushing in any of the last three years. And I think when I say something like this, there are some fans who say, well, that's good because I want Georgia to evolve into more of a passing team. I don't want this to be a run-first offense. And my response back to that would be, I think you can get more rushing yards without being a rush-first offense. In fact, let me just read this to you very quickly here. If you look at the top three teams in the SEC from a rushing yards per game standpoint a year ago, you see Arkansas, you see Mississippi, you see Tennessee. Now, folks think Sam Pittman in Arkansas, but the truth is that's Kendall Browse as your offensive coordinator. That's a very much kind of pass-first mind as an OC. That's certainly true for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and that's certainly true for Josh Heupel at Tennessee. The teams that actually ran the ball the best a year ago in the SEC were teams that kind of had a little bit of a pass-first mentality, which means that you don't necessarily have to stop throwing it to create rushing yards. If anything, the passing game helps set up the run. So I don't think that's a uh, you know, I think that's a little bit of a false conversation to assume that Georgia has to be rushed first to get more rushing yards. They just simply need to rush better. And I do put some of that on the offensive line fully asserting itself in order for that to happen. What do you think about that overall conversation of Georgia in the midst of a bit of an offensive evolution, but still needing to get plenty of rushing yards? I, I think it's a balance. And I think that's what the best offenses are able to do is threaten you in both the aerial attack and on the run game. And you just listed a number of teams that may not lead the conference even in attempts per game in rushing, but they're just so efficient and effective when they do it. Um, with the evolution of the way offenses attack defenses and the way you spread out defenses and challenge them to not only protect in the box, but you know, you've got them spread out where it's 53 across and as, as deep as you can go uh, trying to stretch the field. That's a lot of grass to cover. And when, you've, when you create those opportunities, um, it, it lends itself to more space for your running back. So this isn't the old school, uh, the team that, you know, puts seven, eight in the box with just big mouth breathers that just pound on people. That's not rushing leaders anymore. That was 20 years ago where you just, you know, we're going to pound you into submission. You look at 
both college football and NFL and the, the rushing teams that are most successful, they spread spread out the field, create gaps, and then can crease because the offensive line, you know, has a uh, stops here and, and creates this space. And when they have running backs that, you know, you, you make one guy miss, and because the field is so spread out, they can take it the distance, and you get more big plays that way. So uh, it, it's recognizing how offenses are creating. Um, gains in the run game and seeing that it's different than it has been. So the old school mentality, um, and, and I think that's what fans picture sometimes, it's it's much different than reality today. And that, you know, the teams you just listed, they can spread it out and sling it, Mississippi, Ole Miss specifically. Um, and that's what's creating these lanes and opportunities in the run game. I want to talk about the Oregon game here for a moment, John. And I don't know if this is like a media thing or what, but like the thing that I just love is is the spotlight that UGA finds itself in on Saturday. We talked before you joined us about you know Georgia fans' excitement about seeing their team for the first time as reigning national champions playing a game, but also you know three thirty start time for this game in Atlanta against a recognizable brand like Oregon. You know this is one of the biggest games of the opening weekend. I'm guessing there's going to be a huge television audience for this, and there's going to be a lot of attention paid to how this game plays out. There are some people who I think kind of hope that hey maybe Oregon can keep it close to the UGA, maybe suggest. Yes, there's a little bit more mystery and intrigue to the upcoming season. Obviously, Georgia fans want the opposite of that to occur. They want to flex a little bit in their first game as national champions. But everything about this just feels really big. You know, it's it's a huge tailgate for us here at Dog Nation, but also for, uh, you know, UGA fans kind of leading into this. It's this like, you know, uh, mammoth NFL stadium that has all the kind of the shiny bells and whistles and things like that. Just the the level of relevance that Georgia's going to have at its disposal on Saturday and the, the level of you know earned media that you get from kind of playing in a spot like this I just I just find this to be so exciting and the sense that I get is that Georgia fans are so ready to get this thing going yeah and there are national storylines surrounding this game and implications from it that can reverberate across all of college football because you know if Oregon's able to stay close even and not even win but the, what, what that might mean to um, the various conferences and uh, the implications that that has of, hey, Oregon, who you know did win 10 games last year but got smoked at the back end of that season when they yeah. went up against good competition. Um, is, is there more to it? Is there more parity? Because Lord knows every other conference wants it now that there's two power conferences if you can say hey maybe the separation isn't quite as wide as it's perceived you know that could be really uh, that would be a storyline that yeah, we're, we're going to be discussing all year long and then the flip side is you know wh- where's Georgia at having lo- lost 28 players 15 of which to went to the NFL draft and are, are they really as deep um, as as we think they are, um, and, and what are those national implications? Because it seems like the rich continue to stay rich, if you will, in, in the recruiting battles. So I think there is there is a lot of national interest in this game, and uh, rightfully so. I think you can justify a number of different reasons as to why not only are Georgia faithful going to be watching this game, but folks across the country can see that 
Um, this is a real tone setter at a week one in, in what might be some of the major storylines that we're going to be talking about all year long. You're a more measured person than I am, John. You're sometimes maybe more level-headed. So the opinion I've expressed over and over again is, this is reigning national champs against rookie head coach coaching his first game. This is SEC versus Pac-12. This is a team traveling 2,500 miles, whatever it is, to come play in the home state of their opponent. John, nothing about this game is supposed to be close to me. This is supposed to be a dominant Georgia victory on Saturday. And as you said, if it's not, then maybe you're left scratching your head there a little bit. But coaches and players are supposed to respect their opponent i'm sure uga does i'm just a blowhard with a microphone i can say what i really think i don't think oregon has a shot of keeping it close against george on saturday do you agree with that well i i hope it plays out exactly how you see it and how i can see it going but uh, you come in with a a team that does have some returning pieces it, they've added a guy who's familiar uh with george's operations and head coach Dan Lanning and uh, even their possibly their quarterback and Bo Nix, who <laughs> had uh, d- didn't have great success <laughs> against Georgia. But I started to say that certainly. laugh is very telling when when it's Bo Nix. <laughs> that little chuckle that comes well, on the end of the Nix name there. That's a very telling laugh. Well, only been, you know, it, I, there's a couple decent offensive linemen in Oregon, but. Uh, you know, if Bo was under duress that entire last game. I think yeah. I was running for his life. So uh, he, I think he was going out there thinking that, hey, maybe I can get away from these uh, these defenses in the SEC. And out of week one, you're going right back into the lion's den, if you will. So uh, can I see it playing out the way that you expect it? Absolutely. But I, I do think that um, – you know, if, if Georgia, if it takes them time offensively to, to get up to speed, I don't know why it would, considering how many pieces are returning. Uh, but if you give a, a hungry team a little hope, if you give them a little, you know, hey, maybe maybe we can, a little faith in what their coaches have told them. And, you know, they're getting the message of it's us against the world and there's, you know, everyone has counted us out. There's zero expectations for us to do anything and what better place for us to be if we're dangerous that we can just let all let it all hang out and and go out there and you know shock the world and sometimes that's liberating that you don't play as stressed Um, but i'll also say it's pretty devastating if, if the other team jumps out early and you go man this is we are not ready. So yeah. I think uh, that that first quarter, that first half can really be uh, predeterminant as to how the game goes. You give a, a hungry team some some hope and, you know, it, you have to battle more than you should. But you come out and play the way you should and it can certainly snowball pretty quickly. It is a, a big night tonight for UGA recruiting, John. I want to find out more from you in a moment about the player that Georgia has a chance to add. I'm curious your thoughts there on that. Before that, though, let me quickly remind folks about why this is such a big week for us here at Dog Nation. We've talked a lot about the Dog Nation duck hunt tailgate. That's obviously coming up this upcoming Saturday, but we have another big event there as well. How about the Marlowe's Tavern in Dunwoody this upcoming Thursday for an incredible event on hand there for that? 
that. It's our season kickoff preview event at Marlowe's and Dunwoody, and it's going to be a great time. Uh, obviously, the entire Dog Nation team going to be on hand, but former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm going to be there as well. We are so excited about hanging out with Jake. This is going to be a great time. Our friends from the Finish Long are going to be on, on hand there as well. You know it's always a good time when the long drink is flowing, and this week it is going to be. And I've even been told there is a chance that we might have some Dog Nation Duck Hunt tail uh, t-shirts to give away there as well. So for those of you who maybe were not able to get tickets for the Dog Nation Duck Hunt tailgate, but you still like to have a Dog Nation Duck Hunt t-shirt, I can't believe this, but I'm told that we may have a chance to give some of those away on Thursday there too. And for those of you that know the Marlowe's and Dunwoody, there's also a beautiful lawn out in front. So uh, we're going to maybe, weather permitting, be able to do our event kind of outside on the lawn there, too. Now, we don't have to, you don't have to bring your own chairs. We'll have chairs and things like that for you. But we're going to set that up maybe outside and have a great event on the lawn, kind of like our own sort of pre-tailgate to the actual tailgate that's going to take place on Saturday. So you can go to dognation.com and get more details on this. But great event taking place on Thursday with Dog Nation and former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. That's 1317 Dunwoody Village Parkway. Starts at 6. You can enjoy some finished long drink. You might get yourself a Dog Nation Duck Hunt t-shirt. So it's big, big doings coming up on Thursday at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. And, John, it's also big doings for UGA tonight when it comes to recruiting. Monroe Freeling is a big offensive line prospect, and I would say one of the biggest names that Georgia still has a chance to add here for this 2023 class. He's going to choose tonight between Georgia and Clemson and Miami and Florida and Alabama. It's sort of thought to be a a Georgia-Miami battle here to a degree, but I know you've had a chance to see Freeling a little bit. Uh, What do you think about him, and why do you think it is that he kind of stands out right now as a little bit of a prospect of note here? As an offensive lineman yourself, what is there to like about Monroe Freeling? Well, one, he's just a a big body. I mean, he's all of 6'7". At least it looks that way on film. He plays long. He's one, you know, it became evident that um, George is really in the hunt. You watch more of his film, and for a high school player, he uses his hands pretty well, and that's kind of a rarity. Now, an athletic guy for his size, uh, technique will come, power will come. Um, you look at his frame and, and see um, that there's ample opportunity. Once he comes, gets to college and you're able to stack on more muscle, he's only going to be more um, – powerful in, in, in various ways, but he loves to finish. Uh, he's a guy that plays with that kind of tenacity that's hard to coach. Um, so you, you look at him and you say, man, there's so many aspects of his game that you just can't coach that he already has a really strong grasp of. And, and what he can improve on is all stuff that he can improve on, that you can you can coach and you can build more muscle in his it, on him, I mean, once he gets uh, into a, a college system, that's what they do. They're going to teach him technique, and they're going to get him in the weight room. So I think he's a, a really good top prospect and it would be a huge get. I know uh, with the Bo Hewley, we discussed him yeah. a, a few weeks ago with, you know, e, is there some trepidation as to there might be some movement there? Um, this could be a really big win for Stacy Searles and, and that entire offensive line room, just building confidence in, you know, r- recruiting in this position group is still 
at a premium, and Georgia has that on lock. No, I think that's exactly right. So, John, the next time you and I talk, hopefully we're talking about what Georgia did to add Freeling to the mix, the class of 2023. Hopefully we are talking about a big win for the Dogs against Oregon and a great start to the 2022 season there on the field. So our long wait for the season is now over. It is here. I know you're excited about the game much like I am. So enjoy it here this weekend, John. I look forward to talking to you in the aftermath of all of this here again next week. I can't wait. Go Dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. It's always nice to have kind of like your signature sign-off, and John always gives us a go-dogs every time he joins. And I always appreciate that. I always very much enjoy that indeed. And I thought what John had to say about Freeling there was also really good too. We're going to have more thoughts on that decision tonight coming up. And specifically, one of the things we're going to get into is how that kind of fits into the aftermath of the anthony evans decision on friday evans choosing oklahoma over uga so the fact that you get a chance to win with a guy like freeling tonight i think comes at a good time with some uga fans kind of reeling about the current state of this 2023 recruiting class and i think opinions vary about how fair or not that is in light of the bigger picture here but we'll get into more of that before we're done on the program but before that let's go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean man 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 uh, so excited about Royal Caribbean, and we got some really cool things to tell you about Royal Caribbean here coming up very soon. I'm not supposed to be saying any of this, but uh, I am very excited about a lot of it. Y'all, we've got so many gigantic announcements in the next few days. I'm going to make one tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. We're going to make some more here later on the week to be excited about. And, of course, this is going along with you know all the other cool stuff that's on board there as well. What a time it is to be around Dog Nation, and why not do that when you got a show like this talking about the reigning national champs getting back to the business of football here this week? How could you not be excited about all of that? So we've got big events and exciting opportunities commensurate, which is a bigger word than I should be using, but big events and big opportunities commensurate with a national championship type program that we talk about here each and every day. So uh, just cannot get. Uh, too excited about any of this and can't wait for it. And by the way, I'm also excited about Royal Caribbean because away from college football, that's about the thing I probably get about as excited about as anything. Being on a wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise ship, going to some gorgeous location in the Bahamas or somewhere in the Caribbean, perfect day, Coke, okay, or just enjoying the stuff that's happening on board. I love doing that too. I wish I was on a Royal Caribbean cruise here right now. In fact, I uh, somebody had sent me a message this weekend of themselves enjoying their own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, perfect blue water, and I was so jealous that I'll probably show this to you later on this week as a golden shoe or something, but you know y'all share with me when you're on a great royal caribbean vacation and it makes me wish i was on one right now so two things i stay pretty excited about all the time that's georgia football and royal caribbean cruises and so glad to have both those things in my life right now and if you want a royal caribbean cruise vacation in your life our friend jessica slater can help you out with that she's the one we recommend for your royal caribbean travel needs and trust me you need a royal caribbean cruise vacation whether you know it or not so you can reach out to her give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also find her online dreamvacations.com slash jay slater that's dreamvacations.com slash jay slater she can hook you up the same way she's hooked me up i've got two royal caribbean cruises already in the books may have another one coming up here really soon which i think is really cool there as well so your time is now take your royal caribbean cruise vacation let jessica help you out with all of that 770-718-9147 
or dreamvacations.com slash jslater. All right, let's talk some SEC here for a moment. And it was a very weird thing on Friday that as the rest of the SEC is just kind of biding its time and getting ready for the start of the upcoming season, everybody's just sort of in a relaxed kind of low-key mood heading into the week one, which is on its way next Saturday, except at Auburn. Auburn uses that as their moment to move off their athletic director. And Alan Green had his contract coming to an end. He wanted some resolution. So their resolution is, well, why don't we just move on? So Auburn essentially fired its athletic director a week before the season began. Like, that's as Auburn as it's ever going to get right there. That is as Auburn soap opera, Auburn drama as it's ever going to get. Can we bring the music down maybe just like a tiny little bit? That's about as Auburn as it gets uh, right there that, you know, you can move off of Alan Green and like, I don't really know what all this means. I don't know that Green was a great AD. I did see where Danny White, the Tennessee athletic director, kind of uh, basically said, good for you for getting out of that situation. First of all, we have a lot of public beefing going on in the SEC now in a way we haven't had before. A guy like White publicly calling out Auburn's a little bit of a weird scenario, but I think it sort of speaks to just how weird the scenario is behind the scenes there at Auburn. They can't seem to do anything to cure the drama that just sort of plagues the program. They just can't. And if you're a UGA fan, you love it because Auburn's one of your hated rivals and they just never stop being Auburn, which in a way is kind of funny, I guess. And obviously a lot of this sort of points to the future of Brian Harson there too. I mean, Harson's already hanging on by a string. You've got boosters making up rumors about him as a way of kind of getting him fired. You know, Green did very little to slow any of that down. But ultimately, with Green being gone, there's like very little cover left for Harson whatsoever. So, you know, the idea that he's kind of a two and done type coach at Auburn, one more sort of lame duck year before the Auburn boosters get what they want, which is pushing him out the door. Uh, the the dismissal of 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 Green as athletic director, the move from Green away from the Auburn program, I think would speak to that as a as a pretty big possibility here. So turmoil at Auburn, athletic director out, future for Brian Harson more uncertain than ever. Uh, with that new job coming open here, and as we said before, Auburn just keeps right on being Auburn, which is uh, kind of funny to watch. Now, speaking of Auburn, they are also one of these SEC teams that seems to have resolved its quarterback competition here for a moment. Now, as I told you, I love kind of picking on Auburn. I love the fact that they're kind of a drama farm. I like all of that. But for a second here, I'm going to try to be as objective as I can possibly be, which is maybe not the easiest thing for me, but I'm going to try to be objective because this is serious. It relates to like gambling and things like that. Auburn named TJ Finley at starting quarterback. And like as like genuinely honest as I think I can be, I don't think that's a good sign. It seems pretty obvious. And this is one of those things we told you that there are four teams in the SEC with relatively high talent levels with relatively uncertain quarterback situations. One of those was Florida relatively high talent level and in the case of Anthony Richardson it's starting quarterback you know who the quarterback's going to be you just don't know how good he's going to be but other situations like Auburn and Texas A&M and LSU we haven't known who that quarterback is but what we have said is is that if you put a good quarterback on one of those rosters then you've got a team that's probably pretty dangerous and the toughest case to be made was would be for Auburn but I I would say even for Auburn that good quarterback on that roster is a pretty dangerous team. But the fact that Zach Calzada didn't win the quarterback job, I think speaks to this being a lackluster quarterback situation. All of a sudden now, you think about Auburn, whose season win total is somewhere around five and a half or six. 
I would say that Auburn becomes a team that I would take a long look on an under on. I think Auburn's going to have a very hard time winning SEC games with TJ with TJ Finley as starting quarterback. And I think Zach Calzada was given every chance to try to win this job, and he just simply failed to do it. So you have to start somebody at quarterback. So Finley almost becomes that guy by default a little bit. Now, my guess is you're going to hear some whispers coming out of Auburn. Well, actually, T.J. Finley's really pretty good and blah, blah, blah. All of that's just smokescreen. And by the way, we said the same thing about Georgia back in 2020 when Jamie Newman was supposed to be the starting quarterback and then he opted out. And then suddenly you magically started hearing all this great stuff about Dewan Mathis. You didn't hear any of that prior to Newman opting out. So the fact that magically all of this praise for Mathis came right after Georgia sort of needed him to be starting quarterback, to me, he sort of spoke to a PR campaign more so than anything else. So watch to see if the same PR campaign doesn't happen for TJ Finley here right now. But if Finley was going to be their guy, they could have made him the guy at any point in time. They wanted someone else to win the job. They wanted it to be Calzada. And you get a sense that Calzada may have actually finished third. They actually may like Robbie Ashford, another transfer quarterback. Uh, they may like him even more than they like Zach Calzada. It seems like Calzada is just a high-profile failure transferring into the Auburn program and doing nothing with the opportunity that he was given. Now, another starting quarterback that was named here, at least I think reportedly and then since then confirmed, is that Haynes King is going to be the starting quarterback at Texas A&M. Another transfer who did not win the starting job. Max Johnson left LSU to go to Texas A&M and did not get the job. Now, who's to say this quarterback competition might not continue into the season? I'm sure Jimbo Fisher is going to try to certainly act like it's going to because they don't want Johnson to transfer again. But this is a guy in King who would have been the starter a year ago had he not gotten hurt. He did get hurt, missed the rest of the season. That's how Zach Calzada actually emerged at Texas A&M. And so who knows? Maybe King really is a good quarterback. I honestly don't know the answer to this one way or another. But what's interesting to me about the Texas A&M situation is you got a guy in Johnson, high-profile transfer, like Calzada, like uh, uh, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. There are a lot of big-time transfers who were leaving to go somewhere else for their big moment. And a lot of these guys are not going to end up starting. Max Johnson maybe being one of the more high-profile examples of that. Then you got the LSU situation where it seems like it's pretty likely that Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State transfer, is going to end up being there, that guy for LSU. I don't know. Maybe he's had a pretty good summer. Maybe he kind of has. But I think one of the big takeaways for me is, is that the team I'd be the most concerned with at quarterbacks, probably Auburn, uh, the situation with Daniels at LSU may be the most favorable. The situation at A&M may be somewhere in between all of that. But we've been saying for a while now, these teams that have some talent but no quarterback, how they resolve their quarterback situation would be pretty interesting. And as it's kind of working out, you know, I think you're left to try to conclude what, this, what that means for some of these teams on the field here this fall. And we'll learn some of this here pretty quickly. Uh, one more note from Week Zero. How impressive was Vanderbilt going to Hawaii and winning, what, 63-10, whatever it was? We told you about this, and we said, hey, for some of y'all who've kind of heard over the years, oh, Hawaii's an underdog at home, sort of blindly bet the bows on that, Rainbow Warriors. We said this is not that kind of Hawaii team. We told you this was going to be a good spot for uh, Vanderbilt, and it was. We actually did pretty well with our week zero picks. We gave you Illinois. They were an easy winner. We talked about Vanderbilt here, there on that. So we, we did pretty well with the uh, week zero games that we took a position on. So – uh, big performance there from Vanderbilt. They got a chance in some non-conference games here in September to win some. And they probably need to win some of these non-conference games because once conference play begins, they're probably not going to be in too good shape. Uh, but nonetheless, a nice performance for Vanderbilt 
uh, over the weekend there in Hawaii, very late on a Saturday night. And of course, all of this leads you into week one action. We'll do more of this as the week goes on, but here are the games worth noting. Obviously, Georgia, Oregon, you know about that. Arkansas, Cincinnati, this is one of the rare top 25 matchups. I think there are only three top 25 matchups on Saturday, Georgia, Oregon being one, Cincinnati, Arkansas being one, and also Notre Dame, Ohio State. So you got three top 25 matchups. I think Utah, Florida is a very interesting game, as much as it pains me to admit. I think you do have to watch out for Florida here just a bit. Um, I, I could see a lot of point spread movement in the direction of Florida before that game kicks off. And then on Sunday, you've got Florida State LSU. So you've got a pretty nice week one slate kind of stretching into the weekend, too, with the big game on Sunday. And then you've even got Tech and Clemson coming up on Monday, if you uh, care to see that one. I guess the most in- interesting thing about that is what's Tech lost its last two games by, like 100 nothing combined score or something like that. So just seeing if Tech's going to score may be worth tuning in on a Monday night for Tech and Clemson. But nonetheless, we'll make that cruise and run the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I want to talk some UJ recruiting here for a moment. And look, tonight is a big announcement. Four-star offensive lineman Monroe Freeling. We've told you about this. He's getting ready to choose. You know, He's going to have a few hats on the table, so to speak, but it's probably a Georgia-Miami battle. This is a big decision in a number of fronts. It's one of the big measuring sticks for Stacey Searles as he begins his career as Georgia's offensive line coach. We're returning back to UGA, having been here years before. Um, This is also just a big sort of need for UGA right now, that kind of elite offensive lineman. And it also comes on the heels as well of some pretty disappointing news for George as of late in recruiting. And some of these have been surprises. I think the Anthony Evans thing on Friday was a pretty big surprise. I think the folks who were watching that wide receiver from Converse Texas decision closely thought it was going to be George. And then the last minute, it kind of wasn't. And it seems like we've had a few of these here lately for Georgia where it seems like it's going to be a Georgia win at the last minute. Things just sort of changed and all of that. And I've brought this up with Jeff on each of the last two Fridays when we've had our conversation with him. It's like you have these sort of like, you know, extreme opinions on the part of some Georgia fans where uh, Georgia fans in some respects are kind of worried about UGA recruiting and they think those who are not are kind of naive On the flip side of that, you've got some who think that Georgia recruiting is just going to be fine like it always is, and they think that the ones who are worried about it are paranoid. And you have like sort of this battle of, are Georgia fans naive about this or are they paranoid about this? And uh, maybe like a lot of things, the truth being somewhat in the middle. There is no doubt that the 2023 recruiting cycle is a very strange one. There's no doubt about that. And there's also no doubt that the presence of NIL seems to be the one thing that's making it so strange. And there are some people who are like, well, Georgia's just not playing the NIL game. That's why it's not winning some of these recruiting battles. But honestly, I think that's a very much oversimplified statement. I do. I mean, I have reason to believe that Georgia is out there kind of playing the NIL game as much as a lot of other programs are. Maybe not as much as the sort of most famous NIL programs are, but certainly maybe as much as any group kind of just below that when it comes to the overall NIL game. In fact, This is where like the Freeling thing may be an interesting litmus test in all of this, because who is the other team besides Georgia thought to be in the mix for all of this? Well, it's Miami. And maybe for this 2023 cycle, nobody's sort of more NIL than Miami has been. So for the people who say that Georgia's not winning recruiting battles because of NIL, well, if Georgia wins against Miami for Monroe Freeling, like it did with uh, Janelle Aguero not too long ago, 
then you can't fully say that, right? I mean, it, you know, NIL can't be the reason why you're not getting players. And then all of a sudden when you do get a player going against kind of an NIL program like Miami, you sort of have to acknowledge that, well, maybe the NIL stuff is not the end-all, be-all for all of this, just given the way that all these decisions are working out. I think there's potentially a lot kind of going on here. And I do think it's worth noting. I, I, I do think this is kind of an odd cycle, and it's an odd cycle that at times sort of worked against UGA. The Freeling announcement tonight would make you feel better about all of that. And at some point in time, when we have more time, maybe we get into more detail about what else I think is going on here. But like one of the things that, that you might need to do as a response to all this, maybe at some point Georgia needs to draw a little smaller circle and start recruiting a little closer to home in some respects. That might help, I think, with, with some of the decisions that are being made here. I think you see a little bit of a pattern there of, uh, of, of guys making decisions to go places that's a, maybe a little closer to to their home or a little bit more I guess convenient to that home front but but ultimately you know that's one of those conversations to be had in greater detail a little bit later on the point is is there are some restless Georgia fans right now when it comes to the state of this 2023 recruiting class and I sort of understand where they're coming from on some of that Uh, maybe it's not all as dire as has been suggested but it's also not as rosy as some have suggested either there's there are some unique challenges here to this 2023 class but every georgia fan would feel certainly better tonight if later on this evening you see the big four-star offensive lineman monroe freeling making an announcement for the dogs we'll have live coverage for you tonight on that dog nation video channels and we're looking forward to seeing that announcement when it plays out and for now we'll get ready to wrap up the program and as we do, we'll do so with our golden shoe. And always fun to be able to do this. And we mentioned before that on Saturday, Georgia gets to play for the first time as reigning national champs. And a lot of Georgia fans enjoy that national championship gear they've got as a reminder of that, including the uh, Coca-Cola bottles that are such a popular collectible and have been for more than 40 years. Well, our buddy Hayes Calloway uh, goes shopping and uh, he says, listen, I bought a whole case of Georgia national championship Coke bottles. So... You love to be able to see that. He's got the entire case of Coke bottles, and he's enjoying himself there on that. So congratulations to Hayes for picking up a bunch of those, and we'll make you our golden shoe winner for today after all of that. But our Gatorator updater, long national title drought for those lousy, stinking Gators. They have no Coke bottles to enjoy. About 4,981 days since they have won a national championship. And our Gatorator countdown, how about 61 days from right now. Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. We'll make that your Gator Hater Countdown, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here. And it's all brought to you by R.S. Andrews, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. They'll get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. That's always a great thing. Uh, some comments here from DogNation.com, some comments from uh, Twitter at DogNationDaily. So a lot of folks reacting to Kirk Herbstreet from Friday talking about UGA. Uh, Red Dog One making himself make it clear he's no fan of Herbstreet. Rx Dog says, Alabama who? Never heard of him. Uh, uh, one Sickum Dogs One says that Kirk One Way Street's got Ohio State playing for the national title every season, basically saying I don't care about his opinion. Kudzu, though, says, uh, while I may not like all of Herb Street's predictions, I find him to be one of the best minds commentating on college football relative to the field of air quotes experts out there in the media. Uh, he's balanced and fact based, plus tremendously deep reach into most of the power five conferences. He says, uh, given that, uh, you know, predicting Bama and has some good points to back it up, I hope Georgia will use this as motivation to avoid another SEC championship game loss like last year. 
Here's the thing I would wonder about that. Is anybody picking Georgia right now? Is anybody, has anybody of note picked them to repeat as national champions or win the SEC? I mean, obviously, I mean, there were a few people who picked them number one in the two polls, coaches poll and the AP poll. But I'm talking about like person who has a TV platform similar in size to one that Herb Street has or just even, you know, larger than the platform that I have here. Is, is there is there anybody of note picking Georgia to win the title? It seems weird that nobody would. Uh, but obviously there weren't that many people that were picking them before last season either. Uh, Kirby fan says that Herb Street's a Big Ten Ohio State homer. Here's the thing, though. It's like over the years, Herb Street's actually been a pretty pro-UGA guy. I mean, go back to 2018 for a moment. Herb Street was the guy on TV arguing the loudest for Georgia to make the playoff that year. It didn't make it, but Herb Street thought they were one of the four best teams. I remember in 2020, do you remember this, when Georgia wasn't even a factor to make the playoff? But on the TV show, when they announced the final four teams for the 2020 playoff, uh, Herb Street was like, I tell you, a team you don't want to play right now, that's Georgia. And he mentioned Oklahoma kind of the same breath. But, I mean, you know, given a chance to be pro-Georgia, Herb Street's actually been more pro-Georgia than maybe not sometimes. Um. BDW3184 says, assuming we get to the SEC title game this year, barring injuries, we should. I have no doubt that Kirby Smart and his staff will have all the reminders, meaning all the things that people have said. So, yeah, plenty of motivation there for UGA. I think you got to believe that's probably true. One thing I want to get to you from Twitter there, too. I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, let me see if I can find this now. So, Patrick Gaggy shared this. He says, um, about Stetson Bennett with the haircut and some of the stuff you've seen from him. He says it is a, uh, you know, a new swagger. He says, and then Patrick says, a sudden shift in persona attitude is not usually a good thing, especially for a quarterback, and perhaps more so for a quarterback whose entire career has been about overcoming and clawing and scratching to prove the doubters wrong. Are you concerned? Let me tell you why I'm not. And I, I continue to find this to be fascinating. And I'm not telling you I know how Stetson Bennett's going to perform this year. But the reason why I'm not concerned on the base of that comment right there is I think it speaks to the disconnect that exists with how people on the outside of the Georgia program see Bennett and how the people on the inside of the Georgia program see Bennett. The thing that has attracted Georgia players to Bennett and caused them to believe in him as the quarterback is not because of Bennett's humility and the fact that he respects the fact that he's overcome so much. They like the fact that Bennett's cocky. They like the fact that he's had some swagger. So while his story is one of being sort of Georgia's version of Rudy Rudiger, you know, the the underdog who made good on an opportunity or whatever else, Bennett has always seen himself as something different. Smart himself even remarked how cocky it seemed like Bennett was when he came in as a walk-on quarterback to Georgia back in 2017. I, we talked to, you know, Jake Fromm, some about this last week. I'm sure we'll do more of this at Marlowe's on Thursday. But Bennett is just a guy that does not see himself as the guy who has no right to be here and the guy that overcome overcame all odds to get to this point. He's he sees himself as someone who's always been good, but it took the idiots around him, you know, too long to recognize that. Whether it be media, other coaches, whatever else, that Bennett has always been his own biggest believer. And so the new haircut and the sort of stequavious type persona that seems to exist around him, that's kind of always been the real Bennett. Like, you know, like the thing from uh, the Richard Gere movie where Ed Norton's in there and like he's, 
you know, playing this one character, and at the end, he's like, you know, whatever the line was. I mean, it, like the Bennett thing's sort of the same thing there as well. Like, uh, it, 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 he's he's not like some humble kid pretending to be cocky now. He's sort of, you know, uh, always been this sort of cocky swagger type guy, and any moment in which uh, he portrays something different is either just what he's choosing to do in that moment or kind of a misread on the situation. He's always been a pretty big believer in himself, and I think that level of self-confidence has actually attracted his teammates to him. So it's an interesting take, but I think it speaks to the kind of parallax view from which people kind of see Bennett on the outside of the program while looking in. So we'll wrap things up with that. It's our R.S. Andrews podcast. Cool down. Y'all check out R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. Water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. But you've got to find them online at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.